Jones is the Managing Director for Campaigns at Change.org and oversees the work of the U.S. team that elevates the voices of petition starters throughout the country on a range of issues. Mike led the campaigns that supported ending the Boy Scouts of America's ban on gay youth and leaders. He worked to get hotel chains across the country to change the way their phone systems access 911 emergency services after a tragic murder in Texas. And now, he's helping me in my effort to get gray television to do the right thing. If ever there was a righteous warrior, Mike is it. Mike, welcome to The Cultural Scavenger. Thank you. So good to be here. Glad to have you. So tell me, what led you to work for change? Oh, what led me to work for change.org? Let's see. This is going back to, I I say internally here, it goes back to the dinosaurs because it feels like it's the Hmm. very early days of like the, uh, you know, tech companies kind of becoming, you know, very large uh, presences in our culture, in our country. It was probably the late 2000s, 2007, 2008. uh, Change.org was actually a blogging platform, believe it or not. We had no petitions on our site. It's funny because now everybody knows us today as the place for petitions Mm -hmm. or, you know, where I go to sign things. Back then, we didn't even have that. All we were uh, was really a blogging site where people could come and read news that we wrote. And my task back then um, was to write about two or three short posts per day on issues around human rights or gay rights, uh, the environment, a whole bunch of different issues. And I really just wanted to be a writer. So it, it was perfect. It was, they were an up and coming site. We were an up and coming site at the time. You know, they were looking for people to write. I had plenty of time to write because, uh, I, you know, it was just a passion of mine. I made time for it. I got $20 a post, which was bananas to think about this at the time. But yep, $20 a post. Change.org would send me a check in the mail at the end of each month for how many posts I wrote. Three or four times the check bounced, but we took <laughs> care of that. But it's just, it was the perfect storm of like a very, very young tech company, not really knowing you know what it wanted to do, but knowing that it wanted to have impact at its core. And at the time we thought you know impact was short writing, blog posts, you know, editorial content we could do that would, you know, get people inspired. And it worked for a bit, but it never really scaled. And so that's what brought me to change.org. And I guess what's kept me at change.org was our pivot to petitions and the magic that that really just unleashed across the internet. And even though you were getting paid a whopping 20 bucks for each one of your blogs, you were getting paid. And now (laughs) you're getting paid considerably more, I suspect. (laughs) Uh, Definitely more, definitely more. uh, Yeah. than $20 a a post. But even at the time though, I mean, blogs were even still kind of in their infancy and it was uh, even getting $20 for a post felt kind of revolutionary. Sure. I mean, you know, back then it was, yeah. You were getting paid for your craft. And that's all I cared about, right? That was the thing that felt the most important. I had done a couple jobs after college. You know, I worked for a human rights organization. I worked for Harvard law school, they were great jobs, but they pulled me away from what I was probably most passionate about, which was writing, telling stories. And so change at the time was really an avenue to do that. And, it, and so just coming in at its infancy, I think I was the third or fourth person they hired wow. to start to write felt just like, you know, oh my gosh, I'm living my dream, even though 
you know, I could barely afford to, you know, take my laundry <laughs> to the laundromat at the time with that kind of money, but it was still just a really magical experience. And because my expertise at the time really focused on gay rights, it just was like being at the right place mm-hmm. at the right time thing where debates around marriage equality, debates around non-discrimination, the the whole entire internet community around LGBT rights specifically kind of went from zero to 200 very quickly. And we got to be part of that. And, and so it was really magical moment to see your writing, not only get read, but like circulated all across the internet. The and, you know, yeah, it was really fascinating. And it was just a really fun moment in a young internet company, even though there wasn't much money, right? And it, it was just the, the visibility and the exposure ended up becoming so huge. Were you a journalism major in school? I was. I went to Syracuse University and majored in uh, magazine, newspaper. And at the time, they felt like they were, you know, revolutionary because they added and online journalism. (laughs) And now it's so funny because I think most folks consume journalism online. But back in like 2000, that was like online journalism. What? What the hell is that? It's funny. I, I tell folks today, I'm not entirely sure you need to go to journalism school but it was the best experience of my life in Absolutely. terms of education because I got to learn how to write, how to tell stories, how to interview people, and mostly how to be fearless with what you're putting out there into the world with your writing and your craft. And again, I don't, if I had to do it over again, I'm not, I sometimes wonder if I would have gone into like a different major, but the skills it, it teaches you and what you're able to do with it. It's just incredible. And I, I wouldn't trade that for the world. And I think you've missed your calling because you should be a podcast host. (laughs) (laughs) People occasionally say, they occasionally say, you know, like you've got the voice for radio. And I always say, you mean the the face for radio. And and (laughs) so change.org is called the world's platform for change. Yes. And I think most people perceive it as an engine for online activism but what happens after a petition is created? Kind of walk me through the steps of, okay, you start a petition, then what? You hope people totally. sign it, and then where does it go from there? Totally. And everybody has a different experience with this based on how, you know, what the scope of their petition is. So every day, we probably see somewhere around 250 to 350 petitions just in the United States alone. When you count all the other countries we operate in, it's well over a thousand petitions a day. And all of them have a scope and a story to them. Sometimes it's a petition that's as small as, hey, the intersection down the street from my house doesn't have a stop sign and I want one. So I'm petitioning my city council to put one there. Or other times it's huge. It's I need the president of the United States to issue clemency for my son who's spending life in prison for, you know, a three strike offense for marijuana. And so the scope really, you know, varies. But there are a couple tried and true things that I, I think happen almost every time someone starts a petition. So the first thing is we work with people to, to make sure they're telling the best story possible on their petition page. So there's some automatic prompts that, you know, focus on that. And there's also some intervention that we have where, you know, staff on our, our, our site or staff on our team reach out to petition starters and work with them to make sure their petition, you know, tells a really powerful story. As you did, and, because, yeah. you know, and so how does the campaign get your attention as mine did? Or does every petition get the personal touch? Not every petition gets the personal touch, although every petition does generally get some kind of 
tips or guides, and whether that's automated or occasionally we have some text, you know, text support that we can give to folks uh, who start petitions. But there are definitely a, a, a small group of petitions that get kind of a, a very custom level support. And that's my team at change.org. We're currently about 15, 16 people. And what we do every day is I mentioned we see about 250, 350 petitions a day. We look at every single one of them. And we look and see which ones have really powerful stories, which ones do we think could really resonate across our culture, which ones do we think our existing users would really be inspired to sign. And we look for all three of those elements. And if a petition has you know, at least two of those three, we often try to pull it in and make sure we're connecting with a petition starter and getting it in front of our users. Yeah. And what we do then is we make sure those petitions kind of fit a particular model. And this is, I give this advice all the time. If you're ready to start an online petition or you're looking to start an online petition, there are a few things that are just like tantamount to keep in mind. The first, make sure there's some emotional stakes at the core of the petition mm -hmm. because it's what's going to inspire people to want sure. to sign it. The second, make sure there's a very clear decision maker that, that you're asking something of someone and it's very clear to understand what that is. So if you're asking Facebook to change something or you're asking McDonald's to change something or you're asking Congress to change something, be very specific about that because people will need to see, okay, if I sign this, I actually believe the decision maker can you know, give what's being asked. And then the third, and this is probably the most important, a sense of timeliness and urgency. If you have all three of those things, you are going to have a powerful online petition that will get you signatures. Depending on the scope, it might get you a few dozen or it might get you hundreds of thousands, but you will get signatures if you have those three components. And I guess that answered my next question. How did my campaign get your attention? And totally. I suppose that had those three elements to them. It um, had everything with that. You had the just your story, which coming from you as Allison's dad, and just also coming at a time in our culture where how many hours go by before another mass shooting? It feels like there's one every single day. So it just is like one just last night in Austin. Last night yeah, in 13, Austin, Texas. I mean, it's like, it's nuts. Exactly. It's nuts. And so your story, very timely, urgent moment where the conversations around violence, tech company accountability, mass shootings is just playing out every day. And you have a very clear decision maker. You need gray television to do one very simple thing. And you're asking for people to join you in this fight and put public pressure on them so that they can give you that one specific thing. And now I know your campaign obviously has um, you know, other components to it around holding tech companies accountable for the content that's on their site. But this petition is very specific, right? Mm -hmm. It's like you need gray television to do this one very specific thing, give you co-copyright so that you can go in other avenues of your life and make sure that oh, you're holding other companies accountable. But what's perfect about your petition is that it really does boil down to those three things, huge emotional stakes, a real sense of timeliness and urgency, and a very clear decision maker who can give you what, what you want. Sometimes as in my case, the target of the petition, in this case, gray television, they dig in and they refuse to cooperate. So, what happens when the, quote, decision maker, unquote, ignores the petition? And how often does that happen? It's a great question. And it's one of the reasons why 
I always want to push back on this narrative of online petitions just being slacktivism. Because I think if you see online petitions as just sort of slacktivism or lazy activism, mm -hmm. it, it allows decision makers to just disregard them. And so what's really important for me as someone who works, you know, in, an, in this space every single day is to make sure that decision makers feel like the pressure that's coming from an online petition isn't transient, that it's going to just fade away over time and that they really feel sustained pressure. So what happens on an online petition when you, you have a decision maker who either is ignoring you or maybe not giving you what you want, we look at ways to tactically escalate the campaign to put pressure on them. And there can be countless tactics that you take to, to do this. When someone starts an online petition, our first task is to really help them build signatures and build a base of power. So if you get 10,000 signatures, 15,000 signatures, 20,000 signatures, um, or even hundreds of signatures, really, it, it, it's just a matter of having a base of power. Because what, what you can do then is you can engage those folks in other tactics mm -hmm. to put pressure on your decision maker. So that might mean sending all of your petition signers a request to tag a decision maker on Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, and making sure that like the companies or the politicians or the lawmakers see that this issue is playing out on social media. They see their hashtags being co-opted. They see them being tagged, all of that. It could be you drive all of your petition signers to place phone calls to your decision maker and really, you know, drive which, which them nuts, essentially. Which we've which done. You did. It, yeah, it's did awesome. Well because it bothered gray television quite a bit. I remember news articles saying, you know, confirming that they were getting phone calls. Yeah. And I, I like what you mentioned earlier that, and it was kind of my initial impression about change.org was Okay, you sign a petition. Is it, as you say, Slack division or it's just like, oh, yeah, this is great. I signed a petition. Now I'm going to just I've done my thing for king and country. But you actually have tools in the toolkit that can yes. take it a step further, like you just mentioned. Yep, exactly. And, and I think it's important because very few online petitions are going to win just by being started and getting a few signatures. Sometimes it happens, right? You you mm. you catch something at the right time and all of a sudden media starts to cover it. It becomes a big thing or a decision maker's caught off guard by a petition. I've seen it happen before where within a day or two, a, a petition will win because it just struck at the right time. It's such a small percentage though of, of what happens. Oftentimes petitions take weeks, months, sometimes even years to win because it's all about harnessing the power of David to defeat a Goliath, really, right? Like you're yeah. basically, you're starting from scratch and building a campaign from essentially ground zero against very powerful entrenched decision makers, right? That could be Congress, that could be companies like McDonald's or Gray or yeah. any sort of big conglomerate, or even if it's like city council or, or your mayor, there's still a process where it's like they have power and, and you as a petition starter don't. So we need to work to build power, build signers, build pressure that actually pushes those decision makers to shift, to change, to respond. That's the heart of this work because it's hard, but when you do it, it's transformational. You leverage the people that have invested emotionally into your petition or your campaign. Exactly. And they're going to be motivated because nothing connects you to this more than the emotional stakes, the sense of urgency mm -hmm. and timeliness, right? And so you want to feel part of something that actually leads to a better world. I find this all the time that like, if you can get folks to sign a petition, it's the entry point to getting them to go deeper and do more activism. 
It's the entry point to getting them to make a phone call, to show up at an in-person event, to you know contribute a couple dollars and help fundraise for something. But it's like, it's just the start of activism. It's not the end-all be-all of activism. And that's the thing that I think really like, Oftentimes, I hear this all the time. People are like, oh, online petitions, what a waste of space. Has a change.org petition ever done anything? And it drives me bananas because I'm like, just open your eyes and look and see like what has been accomplished by just ordinary people starting essentially movements and really changing the world because they were able to harness that power. But again, just getting the signatures is the first step. There's so much more that goes into it. Oh, very much so, as I've learned. How long do campaigns typically last? And how do you measure a successful outcome? That's the easy question. The successful outcome is the person that you're petitioning. They give in to your ask, I guess. Yeah. That's the that's the easiest way to define victory or to define impact. And, and that happens a lot, right? It, it is the case where, you know, when you build up public pressure to a certain point and you're able to kind of exert it, your decision maker will, will respond and, and oftentimes respond in a good way. There are moments, though, where you may not get what exactly you wanted, but because of the noise and the pressure you've created, you've led to something else that's happened. A a perfect example of this is years ago, I worked with this dad who lived in Texas. His daughter was tragically murdered in a hotel room. And in the hotel room was his granddaughter, the, the daughter's child. And she tried to call 911 because she knew that her mom was in danger and she couldn't get an outside line because in that hotel, which was owned by Wyndham, a big hotel company, you had to press nine to get an outside line, then 911. Mm. And what eight-year-old or nine-year-old child knows that? I, right. half of, most adults don't even know that. And so he led a petition to basically get all businesses around the country, essentially, especially ones like hotels and restaurants where you have lots of lots of people um, to, to make it so that you can reach 911 directly through phone services there. And it took years to get that. But what happened in the interim was all of a sudden, this hotel chain decided to just proactively change it. And then all of a sudden, this state decided to change it. And then another state and another state. And it took years to eventually get federal legislation that mandated this. But in the meantime, he was able to spark all of this change that he never was even thinking the day he started that online petition. And it's because of the power of his story and just the basic, you know, there is such an easy solution to this. How could this not be something fixable? And all these other stakeholders who had power to fix it that just weren't identified on day one. And so I see this all the time where like you put a story out there and magic starts to happen that you can't even imagine because others start to weigh in or different things start to happen in different communities. It's really powerful. It, it is. In general, with petitions, I always try to coach petition starters to say something to, to along these lines, which is to say, yes, you want your decision maker to do something. You want Congress, you want this company, you want a lawmaker to do something. And at times, it's going to feel like you're they're your enemy. The goal of all of this is to make it so that they don't necessarily see you as like an evil force out to get them, but as someone harnessing all this power that if they don't pay attention to it, they're going to be left in the dust. They're going to be embarrassed. They're going to be shamed. They're going to, they're, they're going to be forced to explain really bad behavior. And yeah, sometimes that does cause collateral damage because a decision maker's slow to respond or they, they misread something. And you know what? That's a lesson learned for those companies, for those individuals. Exactly. So where does the money to do this come from? Because you have a huge team worldwide. Yep. 
there are two revenue streams that change.org has. The first is we have a set of people who are called members who contribute monthly because they believe in the impact of the platform. They give $7 a month, $10 a month, $50 a month. It's whatever range they really want, but they've seen the impact that petitions can have and they really believe in the power of the platform. So they are essentially like monthly sustainers. And we have tens of thousands of those in the US and across the world. The other way is through a service we call promoted petitions. Uh, and this is the, the, the service where if I sign a petition on change.org, the first screen I might see after I sign it is, uh, uh, hey, if you chip in $3 or $5 or $10, you can help show this petition to hundreds of more eyeballs. And so I kind of see it as almost like a crowdsourced advertising type right. unit where people can, you know, for things they're signing, they deeply believe in and they want to chip in a couple dollars, they can raise awareness and try to build more signatures and more power behind it. Those are the two avenues that we make money. Uh, and that's shifted over time. And we, the business model of Change.org 10 years ago was very, very different. We worked with a lot of nonprofits and political campaigns. Um, and that shifted about five, six years ago. And now we're exclusively user-funded. So all of the money Change.org makes comes in from people who use our site. Wow. That's pretty impressive. What's been the most unusual drive that you've been around? And what's been the most rewarding? Let me start with the most rewarding. Uh, and it's personal to me because I'm openly gay as an adult. And I was a Boy Scout back when I was growing up. And so years ago, we led a series of petitions to get the Boy Scouts of America to end their ban on gay scouts and gay scout leaders. And it was incredibly hard and challenging. There was a lot of resistance at first, but it was also incredibly rewarding because I got to see families all across the country who were affected by this win and the, 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 how that shifted their whole entire community, how it shifted their identities was incredible to all of a sudden make the Boy Scouts of America, you know, welcome, you know, for people who, who always felt outcast by them yeah. um, was really, really powerful uh, and important. So that's by far the most rewarding. Although every week, almost there's a petition starter that I talk to that their story is just so powerful that it, it really does, you know, it, it fills the soul. Um, but that's one example, the Boy Scouts that come to mind. In terms of uh, unique, my goodness, every day. So like I said, we look at all the petitions started every day and we almost make it a contest to see like, what is the funniest or the quirkiest <laughs> petition that started today? And they're all over the map. They will sometimes be things like, oh my gosh, I want my Olive Garden to start accepting Bitcoin as payment. <laughs> or, oh, I my favorite brand of Pop-Tart has been discontinued. Please, Kellogg's, <laughs> bring them back. Or, yeah, it's all stuff like that. What's hilarious, though, is when those things actually win, they make like a whole, a, a huge splash. Like earlier this year, Little Caesars, the pizza chain, actually brought back a certain type of pizza that had a soft pretzel crust because 5,000 people signed a petition and in their announcement of it coming back, they like thank the petition start or signers for oh, wow. being like, well, thanks for telling us this was important to you. And that this was like a cool thing that our, you know, your customers wanted, but it's stuff like that. You see it every single day. And then there's really charming ones. Like the one that comes to mind recently is a woman who's getting married. She is petitioning for, for Hershey to bring back her husband's favorite or her fiance's favorite candy bar because she wants to have their candy bar at, at their wedding. And, and it, it's been discontinued and hasn't been around. So there's stuff like that that's very cute. Or, you know, I've seen petitions for people 
who like, you know, started a petition to, to get so-and-so to take them to prom or so-and-so to propose to them or stuff like that, where it's really charming and stuff you'd never think that online petitions would be used for. And then, you know, there's, like I said, there's just the, the stuff that's so out there and so off the wall. Like the one yesterday that just cracked us all up was there used to be this practice of sending somebody a link that they would click on and it would go to a video on YouTube. Rick Astley's never going to give you up. Mm -hmm. It was called a Rick roll. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. And someone started a petition because the YouTube keeps putting ads in front of the Rick roll and it totally disrupts the prank. And so it's just like the silliest things like that, that people start petitions for, which is just wild. But again, for me, it's like, you know, we'll always find something like that that really makes us smile but the heart and soul of this is getting, you know, folks who have real tangible change that they want to see. And those, I mean, hundreds of petitions a day have that at their core. So it's, it's always, it's not, it's not just the stuff that makes you smile. It's the real substantive stuff too. It's like Christmas every day. I'm sure just <laughs> looking at what you've got. Okay. What came in today? And it's, that has to be fascinating and rewarding. It's the two things I think that I, I always say are, I feel like I get a sense of what the nation's pulse is before anyone else, because mm-hmm. I see what people are reading in the news and what they're they're taking from that to start campaigns around. So I see how people are like basically processing the world around them and what they want to see changed. And then the other thing is just how much news and massive news events push people to want to make things better. You know, last year, obviously, was was very hard and traumatic for lots of people first with covid where we saw the number of petitions around coronavirus especially in the first six months of the pandemic hundreds and hundreds and hundreds a day and they were on everything from economic relief to safety to oh my gosh my family members are stuck in nursing homes and i can't see them help it all this any issue you could imagine we had petitions on and then halfway through the year with everything around George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, mm-hmm. and the push for you know police accountability and racial justice, the number of stories that came forward, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of stories of people who had an experience with police violence and now want to see something changed in either the criminal justice system or in their own state. And that's the type of stuff where it's like, it just feels so lucky we get to be the venue or the vehicle for people to try and create change or, or try to make the world better after experiencing something truly terrible and tragic. People hear about grassroots efforts, but you guys are synonymous with it. You are the champion. And as we record this, my petition is closing in on 110,000 signatures. Yep. And I'm, I'm hoping that we'll prevail with Gray. But thanks to your help and the effort that you've helped foster, one way or another, we've gotten their attention, and I think we've hopefully struck a nerve there. I can't thank you enough for your help and your friendship, and the stories that you've shared are terrific. Thank you so much for joining me. People have told me, well, Andy, you're doing God's work. No, you're doing God's work. Well, I, the only assuming thing there is that. one, so. <laughs> you're yeah, well, doing hope, it. <laughs> uh, if, if there is, I hope she's watching down. On there it. you but, go. Uh, Absolutely. Um, the last thing I'll just add to that, Andy, is that I, that means a lot. And but specifically, it is the courage of people like you who share their stories that make this work so soulful and so rewarding. And just specifically to you, I mean, it is very rare that petition starters actually become friends. And I treasure that we actually have a friendship and it's not just about, you know, what can we do on your petition today? So thank you. Well, that's the story. A special acknowledgement to Marianne Kennedy 
Pat Bunch and Pam Rose for allowing me to use their music from Safe in the Arms of Love, a song Allison loved. If you liked what you heard, please share my podcast with your friends. And while you're at it, why not subscribe? And I'd sure appreciate a great rating in Apple Podcasts, too. I'm Andy Parker, and I'll be here next week with another episode of The Cultural Scavenger. Thanks for listening.